I'll be reading this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and then a brief passage from Hebrews chapter 4. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age understand. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the human heart, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Father, thank you for sending us your spirit to penetrate our hearts and minds to know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, brother. Good morning. When, when you buy certain hardcover books these days, uh, you know, sometimes they come with a free download of the, of the e-book. Sometimes they even come with, uh, with an audio book that you can access. Have you ever bought a book that came with the author? You know, you get the notification on your phone that, that the Amazon delivery guy has, has dropped the book on your porch, and so you go to the porch and you open the door and there's the author standing there with the book waiting to be let in so he can be alongside you and he can, he can explain things as you read it and, and he can remind you of things that you read and, and he can nudge you if you, you know, if you kind of stop reading and paying attention. It would be a little awkward, right? But 
not when the author is the Holy Spirit and the book is the Word of God. For us who belong to Christ, the Bible comes with the author. And the author is the third person of the Trinity. He is in us, he is with us, he is alongside us, convincing us through his word, convicting us through his word, exhorting us, encouraging us through his word, changing our hearts through his word. We'll talk more about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in another message, but my point this morning is that the, this incomparable book that God has given to us that prophets and apostles died so that we would have it in our hands comes with the author. The Holy Spirit wrote the books of the Bible through dozens of men over a period of about 1,500 years. Some of those men understood a good bit of what they wrote, but not all of what they wrote. Uh, <laughs> The author understands all of it. And he's the one who was calling the shots when, when those prophets and apostles wrote the words down that we find in our Bibles. How many of you have ever heard the accusation leveled against churches like ours that we have made the Bible an idol? The, the term for that supposed error is called bibliolatry. I would submit that that perception has been helped along by our failure to acknowledge and to consistently say about the Bible what God says about it. And that is that the effect that the Bible has on human hearts is not the work of letters written on pages in ink. It is the work of the author of the sacred scriptures in and by and through those letters written on paper in ink. Words are symbols of meaning. That's why the Bible can be translated, because words are symbols of meaning. The one who perfectly knows the meaning of the words that he breathed out in the Word of God is the author, the Holy Spirit, who is as we've seen in first message in the series, who is over and over in the scriptures called the breath of God. The breath of God. Both the Bible's origin and the Bible's God-ordained effect, what God does through his word, are all about the work of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Without the work of the author, the Bible is just words. There was a, I was told the story a long time ago of a guy who went to Bible college and the first day of the first of this first Bible exposition class, the prof took the Bible and he threw it across the room and it slammed against the wall and hit the floor. And everybody was like, ah! and he said, it's just, a, just words on paper without the work of the Holy Spirit. But because of the Spirit, <laughs> it is far, far more than that. In Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul tells us to take up and to put on the whole set of defensive and offensive weaponry that God has already laid right at the feet of every believer in Jesus Christ. It's super important that we recognize Paul does not say, go get the armor of God. He doesn't say that. 
He says God has already given it to us. We have only to pick it up, put it on, and make use of it. He says, put on the full armor of God, Ephesians 6.11, that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. The Son and the Spirit are both revealers of God to men, uh, to, to mankind. The Son is the only incarnate revelation of God. Hebrews 1 verses 1 through 3, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers through the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in Son. That's the way the wording is, in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world, and he is the radiance of of God's glory and the exact representation of His nature, and He upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In John 14, verse 9, Jesus said to Philip, He who has seen Me has seen the Father. God the Son, Jesus, is the incarnate revelation of God. He is the only revelation of God that men have ever visibly seen and touched. He was the perfect revealer of God. But so is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the perfect revealer of God. So is the Holy Spirit. Beloved, the Son of God is not the only in-person revelation of God. We who trust in Jesus have the in-person revelation of God living within us right now in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's painful to realize how many Christians think of the Holy Spirit as this impersonal force that, that proceeds from God and acts in their lives rather than as their paraclete, their helper, the one in and with and alongside them, the author of the Word of God who is constantly at work in us to bring His Word to bear in our hearts. This is personal. This is personal. By God's marvelous decree, the incarnate Christ was neither the first nor the last revelation that mankind has been given of God. 
In fact, Jesus at his first advent wasn't even the first revelation that mankind has been given of Jesus. As he proved during his conversation with a couple of his disciples on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, when he went back to the prophets, to the Old Testament, starting with Moses, to show them what had already been said about him by others long before he came from heaven to earth. Jesus was not the only personal revelation that men have been given of God. Now think about this for a minute. Except for the tiny fraction of humanity that walked the earth when Jesus was here the first time. In fact, except for a tiny fraction of that tiny fraction, just the, the people who actually got to behold and see and hear Jesus when He was here physically. Except for those people, none of the rest of mankind including the redeemed people of God, has had the benefit of beholding and listening to Jesus and sitting at the feet of Jesus as did those who lived when He was here. That doesn't mean that we don't sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to Him. So my point is we don't get to do it with Him physically present. Okay? How many books of the Bible did Jesus write down with His own hand? None. So how do you and I who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ come to behold and to know Jesus Christ personally? By the work of the Holy Spirit through the Word, the written Word. The Holy Spirit delivered the Word of God through men. Note the past tense there. I didn't say the Holy Spirit is delivering the Word of God through men. In Jude, one of the last written epistles of the New Testament, the brother of Jesus gives us this exhortation to all who are, quote, the called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Jude writes, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. The faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. The faith that you and I embrace is not still being delivered to mankind. It has been delivered. It is now being handed down. How was it delivered? By the Holy Spirit through men, through the agency of human beings. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it's a familiar passage. It says all Scripture is inspired, and the word literally is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Equipped for, what, for, for how much of what God requires of us? Every good work. If you were here last time, you, again, you know the answer to the question, which person of the Trinity is repeatedly referred to as the breath of God? It's the Holy Spirit. And so when, when Paul writes, all Scripture is breathed out by God, we know who he's talking about. I've often heard Christians refer to uh, the human writers of the Bible as inspired. They were inspired when they wrote the words down. That's not actually what 
That's not actually what the Bible tells us. It says all Scripture is inspired, breathed out by God. The men are just people like you and me. It was the Holy Spirit who superintended those men so that the result was what God intended. The Greek word translated inspired is, is theonoustos in Greek. That doesn't matter, but the theos applies to God. The noustos applies to breath. And so it's God-breathed. The Bible is God-breathed. And when it says all Scripture, that means the whole written Word of God. Peter referred to the writings of Paul as Scripture. It's Old and New Testament, all of the graphe, the Scriptures. Do you know that the, the word that we translate Scriptures, that word means the written Scriptures. It doesn't, it, it's not referring to oral tradition. It's talking about the Word of God written down. Breathed out by God. God did not... Uh, oh, King, uh, let me go to this passage real quick. King David adds to our understanding of how the Holy Spirit spoke through men to bring us God's revelation of Himself. In 2 Samuel 23.2, King David said, The Spirit of Yahweh spoke by me, and His Word, His Word was on my tongue. God did not mechanically dictate the Bible to the human writers. The Holy Spirit used the individual writing styles and vocabularies of each of those men as He superintended what they wrote to ensure that the result was exactly what God intended in the original writings. Now, there is both a divine and a human component to the written Word of God, but the human is miraculously controlled and superseded by the divine so that the outcome is perfect. By the way, that, that applies to the incarnate Word and the written Word. There's a human and a divine element, but the divine is absolutely in control. Of course, in Jesus, the, the humanness of Christ was absolutely under the control of, of, of God. Um, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And the word moved there is born along, and it's, it's the word used for wind filling the sails of a ship and propelling it. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. God has been speaking to mankind ever since He created the first man and He has been making Jesus personally and transformingly known to men, women, and children throughout the ages of mankind, including in the Old Testament. We spent a lot of time looking at Christ in the Old Testament a while back. How, how did God do that? Through men. Through prophets and apostles of God's own choosing who were superintended, they were superseded and borne along by the Holy Spirit so that what they wrote was from God. Those men have never been more than instruments. No prophet or apostle has ever caused a sinner to turn 
to turn to and trust in and know the one true God. That regenerating power of the Word is accomplished by the Holy Spirit in, through, and by the words that the prophets and apostles wrote down by His doing. This is where the bibliolatry thing goes right out the window, and that is, it's not words on paper that change hearts. It's the Holy Spirit working through the word that he wrote to change hearts. And you can't separate those two. If you could, the Bible would just be ink and paper. But you can't separate the word of God from the one who wrote it. It comes with the author. John 14, 25 and 26, Jesus said to his disciples, these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. There are two promises there. The Holy Spirit would teach all things to the disciples and the Holy Spirit would bring to their remembrance all that Jesus had said to them. Teach all things means new revelation. Additional revelation that the Holy Spirit would give to them. He actually said, you know, I haven't told you everything you need to know because some of it you weren't ready for. But when the Spirit comes, He'll reveal those things to you. Additional revelation beyond what they had already received from the Old Testament and directly from Jesus. The promise of new revelation was not an ongoing promise to the church. It was Christ's promise to His disciples through whom the Spirit would deliver the rest of the New Testament after Jesus ascended back to the right hand of His Father. In John chapter 16, verses 12-15, to 15, Jesus explained this critically important promise in a little more detail. He said, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak. He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of Mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. And when Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would not speak, quote, on his own initiative, he absolutely was not saying that the Holy Spirit would, that the things that the Holy Spirit would reveal to the disciples after Jesus' ascension would not bear the full authority of God the way Jesus' own words did. In fact, Jesus used very nearly the same words to describe his own teaching just two chapters earlier. In John 14.10, Jesus said to his disciples, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, listen, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative. But the Father abiding in me does his works. This goes right back to what we saw in the first message, and that is that the three persons of the Trinity always work in perfect concert with one another. When Jesus spoke to men, 
And when the Holy Spirit spoke through men, they did not speak independently of the Father. It's one God, one will, and one word. The words of the Holy Spirit through the prophets and apostles bear exactly the same authority and power as the words spoken by Jesus when He was here. They are the words of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. They are the words of the triune God. Beloved, the book of Acts and the New Testament epistles are the rest of the Gospel according to Jesus, which is the Gospel according to God. According to Jesus Himself, a red-letter-only Gospel or a red-letter especially Gospel is not the whole Gospel. Or to put it as Jesus put it when He promised to give His, his beloved disciples a further revelation through the Holy Spirit whom He would send, the words that Jesus spoke when He was here were not all the truth that the church of Jesus Christ needed to know. In the divinely ordained progress of God's revelation to man, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, set the stage for the other historical, poetic, and prophetic books of the Old Testament. The entire Old Testament set the stage for the New Testament. And the four Gospels set the stage for the book of Acts and for the epistles. Every step in that progress of God's revelation to man is absolutely indispensable to the people of God. Jesus showed men the glory and perfection of God's character and power more directly and more tangibly than anyone had ever beheld God's character and God's power and God's perfection before He came. Jesus' teaching established the true standard of God's law. I said last time, actually it was at the funeral yesterday for Diane, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking to a multitude that includes Jews and Gentiles. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not see, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And he leaves that question hanging out there. By how much? By how much does my righteousness have to surpass theirs? Jesus then demonstrates that the bar, the standard of measure by which men will be measured by God is not down here where the Pharisees thought, thought it was or where they could get over it. It's up there where God is. He says, if you, if you talk trash about your brothers or if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you're worthy of hell. He labeled us all as murderers and adulterers. Why would He do that? He's setting the stage for the cross. He is pre presenting a standard of measure that's absolutely true. This is what God requires. Absolutely. Not one letter, not one stroke of a letter of the law will pass away until all is fulfilled. But who fulfills it? Not me. Jesus. His teaching established the true standard of the law. His life put that standard on perfect display and proved to all who knew Him that they were not as He is. Like the law itself, but far more perfectly and fully, Jesus' first advent proved the necessity of His death and resurrection for the sake of lost sinners. But His teaching during His earthly ministry did not 
fully explain what his death and resurrection would accomplish. The rest of the New Testament after the Gospels does fully explain what Christ's death and resurrection accomplished. What we, the spiritual household of God, need to know is the whole counsel of God's Word. And that means the whole Bible. God has revealed His Word to us through men in the Bible, the whole Bible, by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's all the Word of God. But the work of the Holy Spirit through the Word doesn't stop with revelation. The Holy Spirit also explains, illumines, and reminds through the written Word. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 14-16, to the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. He who is spiritual appraises all things. Accept, understand, and appraise. Those three things in the heart of a human being are the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit used his word to pierce our hearts and to turn our hearts to God. The Holy Spirit pierces hearts through the word. The word of God is both the Spirit's sword and the Spirit's scalpel. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 that we saw earlier, that's it points to that scalpel thing. Uh, we'll, we'll get there again in a sec. What makes, the Bible, what makes the Bible more than just information about God and man and creation? What makes the word of the cross the power of God and the wisdom of God, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2? Again, the question is not what, but who. <laughs> who is it that takes the Bible beyond the level of data that informs and elevates and empowers it in such a way that it becomes an actual encounter of God in the hearts of His elect. An encounter that doesn't just inform, it transforms. Not only to redeem, but also to grow up, to grow us up in Christ. That's a, that's a transformative process called sanctification. Who is it? Well, it's the author of the Bible. The author who comes with the Bible. It's the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit that arms us not only to stand firm and to defend ourselves and others against the fiery darts of Satan, but that same sword arms us to go on the offense, to actually reclaim lost territory from the domain of Satan by ushering lost souls out of the pitch black darkness of Satan's domain into the astonishing light of Jesus Christ. Paul describes the weapons of the believer's warfare and their effect in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm just going to read a few verses from there, verses 3 through 6. 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing that is raised up against the knowledge 
of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. The mighty power of the Holy Spirit working through the Scriptures to reclaim lost territory for God is not limited only to the Bible's Spirit-empowered effect in the hearts of lost sinners. That same life-giving and transforming power is applied by the Holy Spirit through the, word, the words of Scripture to the heart of every redeemed saint to expose the wretchedness of our hearts, to lay us bare before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Listen again to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. I'd like to point out that many people know verse 12 and some don't associate verse 13 with verse 12, but they're talking about the same thing. So I'll read them both. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. The Bible, the Word of God, is the Holy Spirit's scalpel. He cuts us open and He lays us bare before God so that whatever we're trying to hide in our hearts from God, whatever we're trying to hide in our hearts from other human beings, whatever we're trying to hide in our hearts from ourselves, the Spirit through the Word dissects us and lays us bare before God. And I believe even before us so that we see, we see rightly what's actually going on with ourselves. Whatever darkness remains in you and me that we would prefer to hide from God's view, from our fellow men, even from our own view, the Word of God and the hands of the Spirit of God exposes it, lays it bare. That's good. His Spirit working through His Word searches us out and lays us bare so that we have no way to continue calling our double-mindedness anything other than sinful rebellion against God. He causes us to recognize what has to be changed. We need to be found out by God. If you've, ever, if you've raised kids, you know that it's a parent's goal always to find out what their kids are doing when they're, when they're disobeying. We get to find out some of it, but they're real skillful at hiding, right? You can't hide anything from God. And the way God ferrets it out is through the light of His Word by the work of His Spirit. We need to be found out by God. His Spirit through His Word smokes us out day after day so that nothing is hidden from His sight. Nothing that needs to be made known about us is left secret. Psalm 139, last two verses, David says, You search me, O God, and know my heart. You test me and know my anxious thought and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. See, David doesn't take that upon himself. He, take, he, he lays it at the feet of God. He says, God, you have to do that because what did he say earlier in that psalm? He said, you know me so much better than I know myself that your knowledge of me is too wonderful for me. 
We need God to, to search us and expose us because we don't know ourselves. He does. He's the, the Holy Spirit is the only one who can accomplish that task in our hearts. We can't. Uh, the Holy Spirit also, the, the Holy Spirit reveals, the Holy Spirit illuminates, the Holy Spirit pierces and exposes, and the Holy Spirit unites through the Word. Sinclair Ferguson has this outstanding series of lectures called Who is the Holy Spirit? It's on the Ligonier website. Uh, he pointed out, I love this, he pointed out that the day of Pentecost recorded in Acts chapter 2 was the reversal of Babel. At Babel, God used differences in language, He created differences in language to separate and to scatter human beings to various parts of the world. In other words, God divided men by creating distinct languages. That was a judgment. I've said this before, but it's interesting to me that today we celebrate diversity we end up celebrating something that was a judgment of God. See, God's not going after diversity. I'm sorry. doesn't mean there's, that He doesn't use it. But God's not going after the diversity that He created at Babel. He's out to, he is out to remove that curse by the power of the blood of Christ. And so God unites. On the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit actually took the same differences of language that God had, had imposed on a judgment to divide mankind, and He, the Holy Spirit, used those same differences of language to unite men through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. On that day, 3,000 souls of men, women, and children from many different cultures and languages were added to the household of God to become one new man in Jesus. God unites His people by the work of the Spirit through the Word. Now, many of us have heard accounts from Christians who firmly believe that they've had some extraordinary encounter with God that, makes, that most of us have never had. Often those Christians attach a very high degree of importance to that extraordinary experience that they had as a pivotal event in their lives that drove them to greater godliness and usefulness. And many of us know Christians who say that God has spoken to them or regularly speaks to them in verbal propositions to reveal things to them that go beyond what we find written in the Bible. Some even say that God has given them, given them verbal propositions that they are supposed to share, that they are supposed to give to other people or even to the church. Now, I would never presume to tell another Christian that their experience of God or even that that a word they had received from God was not legitimate unless that something that they declare that God has, has done or revealed violates what God has clearly made known in the Bible. Isn't that the test that the Bereans applied to Paul? If it's good enough for Paul, guys, it's good enough for us. Paul passed the test. Paul was speaking and writing by the superintending work of the Spirit as one gifted as an apostle. But brothers and sisters, whatever special revelation you believe you have received from God, you need to know that 
that it is not individual experience and it is not individual revelation that God declares to be profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. It is not your individual experience of God that does that. It is not individual revelation that God commands us to preach in season and out of season. It is the faith once for all delivered to the saints in the written Word of God. It is the Scriptures. Precisely because the incomparable revelation of God to man is shared in common by the people of God, it unites us. God did not save you to make you special as an individual. He saved you to make you one new man together with all the redeemed of God. If that messes with your individual sense of importance, get over it. It is not through your special individual experience of God that He will accomplish His will or His work on earth. It is through the one new man that God has created out of many. It is through the church of God which is the continuing incarnation of Christ on earth, that God will do what He intends to do on this earth. That which binds us together is one Spirit working through the one Word of God by the Holy Spirit in all the redeemed of God. That's the Word of God by which the Spirit convicts, convinces, regenerates, and sanctifies that is the Word of God that is profitable for all of those things in 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. That is the Word of God by which we together have received the personal knowledge of God that Peter says causes us to become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Every one of us was, must make that shared word the main thing. Not some special word given to an individual, but the body of truth once delivered to the saints. I got one more quick thing to say here, and, and that is how do we approach this written word? This magnificent gift that God has given to his people? Well, two words diligently and dependently, diligently and dependently. For too many Christians, uh, they, they treat the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as some kind of exemption from serious study of the Scriptures. I don't need to study before I preach because the Holy Spirit will give me what I need. They expect to grow their personal knowledge of God and their usefulness to God through some kind of Holy Spirit osmosis. But that's not how this works. In the chapter just before that, all scriptures breathed out by God, 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, Paul exhorted Timothy and he said, Be diligent, work hard to present yourself approved to God as a workman who need not be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. In other words, it's hard work. Proverbs 2, verses 3 through 6 says, If you cry for discernment, if you lift your voice for understanding, if you seek wisdom as silver, as searching for silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. If the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. 
You don't get to hidden treasure without hard work. But beloved, it isn't our diligent study that produces genuine understanding of God's Word and godly submission to that Word. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in and through that diligent study. That's how human agency works. We're just instruments. But God requires us to be instruments. What does that mean for how we come to the Word of God? Well, it means we come prayerfully. We come prayerfully. Dependent people depend. And the God-ordained heart of how we live out our utter dependence on God daily is through prayer. Looking intentionally, deliberately, and continually to God to do His transforming work in us. We're out of time. There's another point I wanted to make, but I'm going to bump it to another message. And that, just a little teaser, it's about the fact that we have not been given a lower tier of the personal revelation of God than the disciples had. Uh, we have actually been given more and deeper relationship and, and communion with God than they had because Jesus promised them that when the Holy Spirit came, they would have more. So think about that. We'll talk about that when we discuss the indwelling later. Let's pray. Dear Father, how can we begin to thank You for so magnificent a gift as Your Spirit working in our hearts through Your Word? You've put Your Spirit within us as the author of Your sacred Word. We have the Word of Your power and the power of Your Word living in us individually and corporately to change us into the likeness of Your Son day by day. Praise be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, our glorious Savior, whose blood has bought us for You forever. Amen.